With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. 630 Chad. All right, so here's the deal with the Blue Jays. They are losing to Seattle 5-0. Top of the eighth, the Blue Jays do not have a hit off Canadian James Paxton for the Mariners. He's gone through seven innings, three walks, five strikeouts. Obviously, is not allowed a hit on 83 pitches. So uh, there you go. Blue Jays got two innings left to try to break up the no-hitter. I mentioned that Royals and Orioles game earlier because the Royals scored 10 runs in the top of the first inning. They now lead 13-1 in the top of the sixth. NBA tonight, halftime, Houston 54, Utah 46. Houston leads the series three games to one. Later on tonight, the Warriors will try to finish off the Pelicans. Where would you rank Pelicans among team names in the major pro sports in North America, Kellen? Well, probably towards the bottom. (laughs) (laughs) I would agree. Their mascot is hideous, too. Just one of the scariest-looking mascots ever. What do we got? got, What what are we up to now? 123 teams. We got 30 baseball, 30 NBA, 31 hockey, and 32 football. I think that adds up to 123. And then the MLS soccer, if you want to find them We're not counting MLS We're not counting them in? Okay. Yeah, so 132. I'd put Pelicans down there. Yeah. Then again, I don't know. The Pelicans, the ones they they uh, go dip their beaks in the water, and they scoop up the fish. Are those Pelicans? Yes. I guess if you're a fish, that's a pretty scary team name. Or maybe like a really small person. They're in the wrong league. They should be in the MLB. Then we could have the uh, the Devil Rays and the uh, Pelicans go head to head. Don't forget, they took they took Devil out of the team name oh, several Tampa years Bay ago. Rays. Yeah, yes. Tampa Rays. Because yes. Devil was too, well, devilish. Yes. I can see them. It's a southern state, so yeah. yeah I can see the, the offense being real big down there. So, oh, so, so now we're... Now we're uh, <laughs> Now we're stereotyping people from the southern states. Oh, no, no. I was saying, it's just, I can see. No, some of my best friends are from the south. (laughs) I'm giving you a heart. I know. It's good to have you back, by the way. I know you were gone yesterday, but. No, I didn't have a show yesterday. They preempted me for that crazy football show. Which was good. It was good. Mike Riley Riley was on. He's always good to talk to. Yeah. Uh, I was going to do something else. Oh, yeah, the WHL final. Resumes at 8 o'clock tonight. Swift Current at Everett. Series is tied 1-1. Contract extensions for Eskimos coach Jason Moss and GM Brock Sunderland through the 2020 season. The Carolina Hurricanes have hired former captain and current assistant Rod Brindamore as their coach. 
Club president Don Waddell will become the full-time general manager after serving as the acting GM. And the conference finals in the NHL will start on Friday with Washington at Tampa Bay, 6 o'clock face-off. We will bring you live coverage of the conference final games right here on 630 Chet. Uh, interesting couple of calls there about the Darcy Hordachuk interview before we went to the news. Alan called in and asked about respect amongst players in the NHL. And I think, Kellen, we tend to... I, I'm not even going to say as sports fans, I think we as people tend to romanticize the past. Well, it was better 10 years ago. and But 10 years ago, we were saying, well, it was better 10 years ago. And I think in, in, in hockey, you always kind of see an incident like Marchand licking a player or hits players get away with and say, well, well, 10 years ago, someone would just grab them and beat them up. Well, 10 years ago, we were already, you know, maybe... 30 years ago, sure, somebody just would have grabbed Marchand and beat him up. Um, is I, I guess, I, I think maybe Alan was asking, is, is there generally less respect amongst players in the NHL? I, I would say no to that. I, I think players respect each other. I, I don't see a lot of guys going out there trying to hit each other. The league has become much more stringent in in penalizing hits to the head. Now that's taken maybe some big body checks out of the game. We, we've referenced before that a guy like Scott Stevens couldn't have played the way he played in the modern NHL. The, the most famous hit there, 2003 Stanley Cup Final, Dex Paul Correa, and Korea came back to the game. That wouldn't be allowed now either, 15 years later. there There's a direct change. Was Scott Stevens a disrespectful player? I didn't think so. He he just crushed guys. Is Brad Marchand a disrespectful player? Well, you're darn right he is. You're darn right he is. And he has proven that over and over again. It isn't an isolated incident. If someone, uh, you know, were to isolate him or just go out on the ice specifically to try to pummel him, would he would he stop behaving that way? I don't know if he would. That's his personality. Even as Darcy said... That's part of what makes him effective. And Darcy even speculated behind the scenes, the Bruins coaches and GMs are probably telling him, do whatever you have to do to be in the game and be effective. We'll pay the fine or deal with it. I, I, I would, here, here's the thing I guess I find a little confusing about that is, you know, the league is, is doing a lot of things to step in with uh, concussions and hits to the head and instant replay. It, it's meddling in a lot of areas. And maybe meddling is the wrong term because I think some of those initiatives are welcome or at least I'm glad they tried them. I mean, if you've listened to me before, you know I, I hate the offside challenge. I wish they would get rid of it. I, I'm not going to fault them for trying it, but after one year, I wish they would have got rid of it. Fine. So so the league is willing to take steps in, in that, but yet they kind of sit on their hands when they got this guy doing something that is so blatantly bizarre and wrong, they don't do anything about it. I mean, one time, okay. Second time, Brad, you're, that's stupid. You're suspended. You're going to sit for a game. You lick another guy, playoffs or regular season, you're going to sit for five. Go ahead and appeal it. You're being an idiot. So they'll, you know, they'll they'll give us this uh, video review challenge where it's frame by frame to see if a guy's skate was one millimeter off the uh, line on on an offside, 
And they won't just step up and say, like, what are you doing? Like, you, you cannot do that. That is embarrassing. It's getting played on every highlight show around the world and, and giving the NHL attention for all the wrong reasons. So anyway, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't think there's general disrespect between players in the NHL. There, there might even be more respect because a lot of the players now know each other. They, there's more player movement. I mean, you hear those stories about, you know, Detroit and Montreal or Toronto and Montreal being on the same train in the 50s and they had one team had to walk through the other team's car to get to the meal and it was all tense and, you know, they felt like they wanted to fight and all that kind of stuff. You know, I think now a lot of players train together in the offseason. Um, you know, a guy like Brandon Davidson, he's with the Islanders now, former Oiler. He's coming to Edmonton to train in the offseason. So he'll be working out with, I assume, a couple Oilers and probably guys from other organizations. But when you have a guy like Marchand, I, I understand what Hordachuk was saying and I'm sure what many of you are feeling why is there that level of disrespect and why can't a guy like that just be, you know, kind of forced into a fight, whether he likes it or not, without the guy initiating the fight being the one who gets punished? And again, why couldn't the league step in sooner and say, Marchand, you're out of here. You're missing a game and $100,000, whatever. Whatever the fine would be. 714 Inside Sports on 630 Chad. You can always call 780-496-0063. You can text 630-630. So contract extensions for the Eskimos coach and GM. Morley Scott will break down that and some other details from their AGM. When we get back, it is 714 Inside Sports on 630 Chad. This is Mike Riley from your Edmonton Eskimos, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chet. All right, so we're keeping an eye on this game in Toronto. 5-0, the Mariners leading the Blue Jays, going to the top of the ninth. James Pacton, Canadian pitcher for the Mariners, 92 pitches, six strikeouts, three walks, has not allowed a hit. Just seeing on Twitter here the Sportsnet stats account. James Paxton is the first Canadian to have a no-hitter heading into the ninth inning since Kirk McCaskill of the Angels on April 28, 1989, against the Blue Jays. So Canadian James Paxton, three outs away from uh, a no-hitter. We'll keep an eye on that one. The uh, Mariners are about to bat in the top of the ninth, and then obviously the Jays will come up in the bottom of the ninth. Edmonton Eskimos had their annual general meeting today. Play-by-play voice Morley Scott was there. Morley, thanks for sticking around. How are you doing? I'm good, Reed. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. Thanks for sticking around. Man, Eskimo stuff really starting to roll here. Obviously, you guys had the special preview show yesterday. You jumped right into the annual general meeting today. And, and before we talk about some of the financials and all that kind of stuff, Big news on the extension front, both Moss and Sunderland through the 2020 season. So the contracts were up after this year, so they get two-year extensions. Yeah, big news. I think uh, continuity is so big in football. And the Eskimos, you know, they haven't had it for a long period of time. Like a a guy, you know, they haven't had a coach for more than a couple of years uh, for a while. And it's nice to have Jason Moss going into his third year this year. Uh, New general manager last year in Brock Sunderland obviously impressed Len Rhodes enough that they exercised that extra year in his contract. So he gets extended as well. It's just a good fit. I really like, and they talked about it a lot today, I really like the way they see the football the same way. They're very much on the same page. They like the same kind of players. They like the same kind of style. And they work very well together, which is which is key, which makes it, uh, I think, an even better uh, way 
ready to go when you have uh, the coach and the GM on the same page. It makes for uh, I, I just going to make for a better football team. All right. So and it, and you know Brock makes an interesting point that. Moss over the last two years is the second winningest coach in the league. Uh, obviously, after uh, Dave Dickinson, yep. um, it, no, I mean Calgary's had exceptional teams and not able to win at all. So uh, Moss trying to get over that hump and get the team into the Grey Cup, which would be great this year since it's here. Absolutely, and that's uh, that's a lot of talk about that. You know, we talked about it last night. Uh, we talked about it. Uh, it got brought up a lot today at the AGM, the fact that the game is here, and it'll be great if the Eskimos are in it. Uh, I'd say it's great if the Eskimos are in the Grey Cup game any year. It doesn't matter where right. it is, and I, they take the same approach, but it's a little different when it's in when it's in your hometown uh, for sure. But, uh, yeah, it's 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 great that they're extended. And, and Moss, as you talked about, he's sec- second most wins behind Dave Dickinson. He's also in the last, what, uh, since 2015, he's... He's also uh, been the coach of two uh, MLPs in Henry Burris in Ottawa in 2015 and Mike Riley last year in 2017. So he's he's obviously works well with quarterbacks. The offensive numbers that the teams put up that he's involved with are incredible, and I just think it's uh, it's it's good to have him around long term for the football club. All right, so uh, what are we looking at here for being on the field with the next week and a half? Next uh, week, a week on? from Sunday. Uh, okay. A week Saturday is the medical day, and that's uh, when they'll they'll do all the medicals and physicals, uh, and then they'll be on the field Sunday morning of next week, the twentieth, for the first time. And then it's it's fast, man. It comes at you fast because they're on the field Sunday for their first practice, and a week from Sunday they play their first game. It'll be against uh, the Saskatchewan Roughriders at uh, at Commonwealth Stadium on the brick field on the twenty seventh, and then on the first. They play again in Winnipeg, so they only have four days right. between games. So uh, they'll be done the preseason very quickly. Then they've got a two-week break between that game in Winnipeg in the preseason and the game in Winnipeg to start the regular season. Uh, fan day this year is kind of weird. It's going to be after the preseason. Usually, it's you know at the end of the first week of camp, but the first week end of the first week of camp is a preseason game. So oh, okay. fan day is going to be June third this year after the team has basically been picked and after they played two preseason games. And again, it's going to go at Commonwealth Stadium as well, 1 till 3 o'clock on uh, the 3rd of June. So that's pretty much the schedule. I think they'll go pretty light that first week uh, while they play the games. Uh, and then after camp, after the two games played, I think they'll have a little bit more of a, of a hard-nosed training camp with some of the players that they know are going to be on the team this year. Morley Scott, Eskimos play-by-play voice, joining us here on 630 Ched. The team's annual general meeting was today money-wise. Incredible. Like Len Rhodes said today that uh, by the end of the season, he was just hoping that they'd finish in the black. Right. The big factor is the injuries. We, we, you know, we've talked so much about the injuries all through last season, all through the offseason looking back at it, but the, you can actually now put a tangible number on the injuries. In 2016, the Eskimos paid players on the uh, six-game injured list $410,000 combined. Okay. Last year, $1.1 million. So that's an that's increase like 20% of, of the salary $700,000. Wow. Right. And if you're on the six game, it doesn't count to the salary. Right. Cap. So but that's that an shows you how right. many guys that, were injured. That, yeah. that, exactly right. That shows you how many players they had injured. Uh, $1.1 million in injury money paid out last year. It's an incredible number. Yeah. And uh, you got to give, I, I know Brock Sunderland talked today about the fact that he was, he was up late many nights, you know, with an eraser and a pencil and, you know, scratching this out and writing that in, trying to make sure that they stayed under the cap, which they did for uh, for the regular season. So, uh, yeah, it was, it was interesting that they came out making money, and that's going to be a, a much larger number next year because you hope 
that they don't have the injuries that they had this year. Right. Plus, you're throwing the Grey Cup into the mix. So uh, the team is poised to make a lot more money next year as well. All right, uh, Morley, going to be great to have you calling games again. We got, uh, we're going to be bringing the conference final games as well in the National Hockey League. We don't know all the teams in them yet. Game 7 coming up on Thursday. Is Vegas still in? Vegas is still in, believe it or not. <laughs> uh, we got Nashville and Winnipeg still there. You covered a few Game 7s, eh? I have. Heart I covered, heart, uh, covered the big breakers. one back in 2000. The two most memorable ones for me are uh, the big one in 2006, which they lost uh, to Carolina, and then 1997, Todd Marchant's uh, overtime goal in Dallas, which is prob- really is almost more memorable to me than, than the 2006 game just because that was so much of a shock. Yeah, to beat right. Dallas after you know Dallas was one of the best teams in the league you know for a couple of years and and to score the way they scored and that that series was just a tremendous series you know the final series was a great series as well and I, I think I would have remembered Game Seven against Carolina more if they had won it sure than the Dallas game but well still. you thought they were going to win it though didn't you you were pretty confident uh, against Carolina yeah uh, yeah at, there was t- a, at times in that yeah series. we talked we've talked about this before there was a couple of times when I just said to myself they're going to win the Stanley Cup and that was halfway through Game One when they had like a three nothing lead and right. then it all fell apart and and uh and then the collision at the goal mouth uh Wayne Rollison yeah. got hurt and that's and then after game six at the Coliseum uh at Rexall when, when they played best game they played they routed them. yeah you know they just destroyed it like it was, was a four, four nothing, nothing yeah. four nothing and, and they just played fantastic in that game and I thought there's no way they can lose game seven after playing like that yeah that's what Jets fans thought too after game six or after game five in the Nashville series yeah that's right? true no, and then Nashville came back and just you know put a licking on them last night not much momentum it seems between the high end team I mean there might be in game from game to game there doesn't I mean Boston beat Tampa Bay yeah, what six two the first game, and then they can't win again. Can win again. Yeah, it's. I don't think it carries over at all. Momentum in a playoff series doesn't carry over because there's just too much focus. Athletes today just have too much focus, and they're just too prepared to play. And the one thing that athletes can do, which just amazes me, is just forget about yesterday. Yeah, flush. It's the phrase they use, right? But just the way they're able to forget about the bad things that happened, and and just get back on the horse and go after it. All right, gonna be fun. Morley, thanks for your time. You bet, Reed. That's Morley Scott, Eskimos play-by-play voice inside sports on 630 Chet. Coming up to the 730 news, the Blue Jays are, uh, well, there's already one out in the bottom of the ninth. So James Paxton, Canadian pitcher for the Seattle Mariners, now two outs away from a no-hitter. The only other Canadian to throw a no-hitter, Dick Fowler, on September 9th, 1945. He was pitching for the Philadelphia Athletics against the St. Louis Browns. Of course, the Philadelphia Athletics are now the Oakland Athletics. The St. Louis Browns are now the Baltimore Orioles. So could be a Canadian pitcher throwing a no-hitter on Canadian soil. We'll have the update in five minutes when we get back. Inside Sports on Chet. This is J.C. Sheriff from your Edmonton Eskimos, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chad. Well, he did it. James Paxton from Ladner, British Columbia, has no hit the Toronto Blue Jays. 99 pitches, 7 strikeouts. He walked 3. He got Josh Donaldson to ground out to 3rd for the final out of the game. Hard hit ball. Good defensive play to get the out. So James Paxton uh, James Paxton becomes just the second Canadian pitcher ever 
to throw a no-hitter in the bigs. He does it in Toronto. Pretty cool moment. Obviously, the Toronto fans were pulling for him at the end of the game. Got a really good ovation. And uh, after celebrating with his teammates, he was walking over to the dugout. Fans were cheering for him, and he pointed to the large maple leaf tattoo he has on uh, one of his forearms. So a pretty nice moment there. So uh, we'll be hearing more about this, I'm sure, throughout the evening and tomorrow. James Paxton of Ladner, British Columbia, 29 years old, throws a no-hitter against the Toronto Blue Jays. Pretty cool stuff. He gets to do it in Canada. Well, I think Toronto fans can live with that loss, but probably many of them, well, I would say all of them, have a much harder time living with the loss on the basketball side of things. DeMar DeRozan says the trip home from Cleveland after the sweep yesterday was terrible. Says it's the worst he's ever felt in his nine years in the NBA. By far, for me, my nine years being in the league is probably the toughest, most frustrating, um, difficult, you know, lowest feeling um, I've had. All right, high expectations for the Raptors, and uh, they simply come crumbling down. Couldn't even win a game against the Cavaliers. Paul Sirs, the executive director of Basketball Alberta. Paul, thanks for coming on tonight. Great to be here, Reed. Good to talk to you again. <laughs> As uh, always, my friend. That was uh, that was a dismantling, wasn't it, by the Cavaliers? How, how would you sum it up? That's a, uh, there, that would be one of the the many words that would none of them positive that would describe this this uh, debacle of a series for the raptors uh you know and i really think reed it all started in game one where they found a way to lose and never recovered and then love found his rhythm and lebron of course was was one who is one of the all-time greats and making um, an argument year after year to, to kind of closing in on making the debate very relevant between he and Michael Jordan as the greatest of all time, but uh, yeah, it was it was just a bad it was bad in every respect. I, I mean, it was interesting to me, Paul, following the Raptors throughout the season, and I, and I rarely get to watch a whole game, but you know, I see bits and pieces of games and I follow highlights, and, and they looked like a team, and and you know, great teams need this when they had a bad game or maybe lost a couple in a row. They they always came back, and it looked like. They looked mature. They looked like they'd figure things out. They they looked like they'd figured out how to take a punch. They didn't look like how they could get rattled. And it seems to me it just all went away. It just just all all went away over the course of this four games. Very very well stated, Reed. They they absolutely evaporated under the pressure that they felt in playing Cleveland. And as you said, it looked like. With the personnel that they had, with their new ball movement offense, uh, with the ability to come back and never lose more than two games in a row during the season, they looked ready to compete with the Cavaliers. The Cavaliers were you know, struggling uh, throughout the year in various periods, went through a trade that really, in the end, when you look at it, Reed, and who contributed in this four-game series, it sure wasn't the trade that made a difference. And and you're right. Everything went away. They brought nothing to the table after game one. And, you know, and you know this from sports, and, and I'm sure you see this in hockey, is once a team loses its confidence and loses the belief that they can impose their will on their opponent, 
bad things happen. And that certainly was the case with the Raptors. So, look, best record in the Eastern Conference. And a lot of people still thought they would beat Cleveland. It comes crashing down. Do they do they need to make changes? Like, are DeRozan and Lowry both going to be back? I, now I see Dwayne Casey's being criticized for his coaching because, you know, he didn't adapt well. I mean... You watch it as closely as anyone, Paul. Do they need to take a major chunk out of this team, or do they need to say, everybody come back and let's learn from it? You know, that's that that has been how Masai Ajuri, the GM of the Raptors, has approached the team. He has not been prone to make wholesale changes. He's stuck with DeRozan and with Lowry as his key guys. He's stuck with Dwayne Casey. And there were times where I think his confidence in Casey wavered, but he stuck with them. And I think overall Dwayne Casey is a is a good is a good coach. However, having said that, I'm not surprised that all options are on the table. Even though they won fifty nine games, and it sure would be bizarre if Dwayne Casey was fired and then was named coach of the year in the NBA. But <laughs> that's a good point. <laughs> but uh he, he, I think they do have to look at all options because there have been many times that I'm familiar with in the NBA where a coach seems to run his tenure as long as it can with whatever he brings to the table with a particular franchise, and then the team seems to feel like they have to make a move. I'd be really cautious if I were the Raptors, though, to do something like that. They definitely have weaknesses, but, you know, we knew about the weaknesses all year. And they unfortunately came back to haunt them against Cleveland. So, you know, I, I really don't know if making wholesale changes is the answer at all here. Paul Sir, Executive Director of Basketball Alberta, joining us on Inside Sports tonight. Okay, so uh, Cleveland's through uh, Boston, Houston, and Golden State are all looking uh, really good to get through. Uh, I hate to throw this at you, but there there aren't a lot of three one comebacks. Obviously, uh, there's more no, more in, no, no. little few little more often in hockey than in the NBA, but they're rare. Uh, who do you like if that's the final four? Cleveland, Boston, uh, Golden State, Houston, and obviously Golden State, Houston can both advance tonight. I, I would um, I would think it'd be Cleveland and Golden State in the final again. Eh? Wow. I I think so. I the I love Boston. And I love Brad Stevens as a coach. And one of the hardest things to watch for me through this whole playoff read was watching a Boston game and then watching a Toronto game. (laughs) Because (laughs) in game three, when Boston beat Philadelphia in that overtime win, there was no way Boston should have won that game. And they found a way to win. And there were some coaching moments that you – rarely see at any level where Brad Stevens designed plays that resulted in layups at critical times that closed the gap and put them ahead at one point. And then their defense is just something to watch. And then you watch the Raptors and you see how loose they are on defense, how sloppy they are in certain areas. And then, and this was a major coaching faux pas, that end-to-end dribble in game three, uh, left-hand dribble, bank off the window, fading away of LeBron's. That just shouldn't happen. A player like that should never be able to just dribble unencumbered down the court. That just shouldn't happen. And that's coaching. That you have to put on the coaching staff. That If 
either the players didn't listen to a well-drawn-up play or there wasn't a well-drawn-up play, and it allowed LeBron to get that kind of shot. And so I'm not answering your question, so I'll go back to it. I think it's going to be <laughs> Cleveland. I just, don't, I just don't think Boston can get past Cleveland with the injuries that they've sustained. If they had Kyrie and Hay- Hayward, I'd feel probably differently. And then on the, on, in the West, I find this really interesting. Houston's a very good team. I just think, you know, in watching them play, I just think Houston, I just think Golden State's better. And so I, I would, it, it wouldn't be a shocking upset if Houston beat Golden State. But I still think we're going to see the same, uh, the same two teams in the finals again. That'd be four in a row, right? Wow, and Hay- Hayward for Boston—that's the kid that played for Butler, and he was he the one that snapped his leg like six minutes into the season. Yep, yeah, oh. Gordon Hayward from Utah, and uh, yeah, Hayward—that just that just that gut wrenching injury, and then they lose Kyrie Irving. And what's so impressive, though, Reed, is this team keeps believing and finding a way to win, and the discipline that they display out there, and the team basketball. Really fun to watch. Brad Stevens is a force to be reckoned with as a coach. Paul, I got another guest coming up. We'll have to try to get you in studio for an extended segment this summer because I always enjoy when we talk, oh, well, about sports in general because we uh, we tend to have some good discussions. I'd love to do it anytime, Reed. Thanks a lot, Paul. That is Paul Sir checking in tonight, Executive Director of Basketball Alberta. He thinks it's going to be Golden State and Cleveland again. Well, starting to look that way. Will it be... Uh, what do you call four in a row? Like a, the quad, quadrology? Trilogy's three in a row. You can text 630-630. What's four in a row? Quadrology? We're call it a, we'll call it a quadrology for now. The AJHL MVP from the Spruce Grove Saints, Chris Van Oshaw, is up next on Inside Sports. Your home for breaking news and expert opinion. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chad. Your top story tonight, Canadian James Paxton, a no-hitter for the Seattle Mariners against the Toronto Blue Jays. 5-0 the final. He struck out seven and walked three. 99 pitches. Josh Donaldson, the final out of the game. Paxton, six foot four from Ladner, B.C., coming off a Canadian record-setting 16 strikeout performance in his last start when he got a no decision against the Oakland A's. Paxton, the first Canadian in 73 years to throw a no-no. Toronto-born Dick Fowler threw one for the Philadelphia A's in 1945. Get this, it was his first start in three years after serving for the Canadian Army in the Second World War. So uh, Dick Fowler getting some attention tonight as well. He passed away at the age of 51 in 1972. James Paxton, no-hitter for Seattle against Toronto tonight in the majors. 5-0 was the final. NBA 81-80, Rockets leading the Jazz early in the fourth. Houston trying to finish off the series. They're up three games to one. Later on tonight, Golden State on home court with a 3-1 series edge against the New Orleans Pelicans. Coming up a bit later tonight, game three of the Western Hockey League final. Swift current at Everett, the series is tied 1-1. Next You're in, looking for the next great next, theme song. Uh, where am Your I Visa this? Infinite where Card can introduce you. Coming from? <laughs> the joy of commercials that autoplay on your computer. Great great voice, though, eh, Kellen? Great oh, voice. 
Legend, awesome. Legendary voice. Legendary voice. He could narrate the show anytime. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was I saying? Next NHL game is Thursday when Nashville hosts Winnipeg in Game 7. We'll have the conference finals for you on 6.30, Chad, starting Friday night with Tampa Bay up against Washington. The Eskimos contract extensions for both Jason Moss, the head coach, and Brock Sunderland, the general manager. They go through 2020. Carolina Hurricanes in the NHL have hired Rod Brindamore, their former captain, as their new head coach. Hey, this guy had a pretty exceptional season. Unfortunately, it ended a few days ago in the Doyle Cup. The AJHL MVP from the Spruce Grove Saints, Chris Van Oshaw. Chris, welcome to Inside Sports. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for coming on the show, Chris. I I know you... You were probably wishing we were doing an interview about uh, your next hockey game coming up or the Royal Bank Cup, uh, but unfortunately the season came to the end on uh, on Friday night. Uh, I know probably a lot to take in, but just uh, how do you feel about about the season overall and some of the things the Saints were able to accomplish? Yeah, for sure. It was an unbelievable battle against Wenatchee, and it sucks that we weren't able to come out on top and the season's already over, but I mean... The, everything we've been through this year and everything we've accomplished like we were like we were third in the north for most of the year and then after Christmas we just kind of got hot and ended up finding our groove and we ended up <laughs> going 12-1 and one in playoffs so ended up winning the AJHL championship which is a huge, huge accomplishment for our organization but but yeah it's too bad we weren't going to the IBC this weekend but it's the way it's the way hockey goes and it was an unbelievable year. You talked about the team finding its groove, Chris. Where do you think that came from? I mean, obviously you, you put up a ton of points, but uh, I'm sure there's there's credit you want to spread around. Was was there a game or a, or a moment or something about the team that really started clicking that allowed you guys to get rolling, or what was it in your mind? Uh, I would say that guys just started to really like buy into the systems and not kind of think, not be individuals I'd say would be the right word I don't know but every single game guys would just be putting in their like their best effort and our team was young this year so our 17 our 17 year olds really had to step up and and uh and even our 16s like everyone just kind of kind of knew their role and started started to find their game at the right time and we all just kind of clicked and we all we all got the job done so well, and you were obviously a big part of that. Chris Van Ossershaw joining us on Inside Sports tonight from the Spruce Grove Saints. 97 points in 59 games for you in the regular season. You were also the AJHL MVP. I asked you about the team success. Where did the individual success come from for you? What allowed you to have such a great year? I think a big part of it was kind of learning, learning the game and kind of being a student of the game a little bit more. And, um I was I turned I turned my game for more of a I would say obviously I'm an offensive threat but from from being a, taking more pride in my D zone and being more of a 200 foot player and I feel like that creates more offense for me if that doesn't really make sense but I feel like it I feel like it really did no it's and my coaching staff coaching staff was unbelievable this year and I learned I learned a lot and also the the guys I played with like no matter what guy you're you're out there with it was. It was there. They were either going to get you the puck, and you trusted them. So, it's an unbelievable group we had for for my success and their success. 
You know what, Chris, that, that makes perfect sense. You're not the first player to tell me he, he worked a little harder in his own end and somehow he started getting the puck more and scoring more at the other end. No, that made, made perfect sense for sure. Now, the, the playoffs were a, a good one for the Saints. Maybe a little frustrating for you because of the injury and, and you found yourself on the sideline for some big games, or, or how, how, would you, how would you sum up your playoff experience and then into the Doyle Cup, Chris? Well, my my playoffs. I feel like I had a really great playoffs while while I was in there, and then yeah, like break breaking your finger and it just seems like such a such a like an injury that you can just kind of battle through, but just you couldn't really move your whole hand, and it was yeah, kind of it was really frustrating being in the stands and just knowing that it's just such a well, it's just such a small injury that affects so much, but you still can't be out there, you know. So, but the guys, the guys kind of battled together, and they and they played hard, and that's all you all you could do. And I was able to get into the last game, which was which was a big thing for me playing my last junior game. So, yeah, absolutely, Chris. Uh, you, you mentioned a little bit about working on your 200 foot game. Is there an NHL player that you admire or have always cheered for, or maybe even modeled your game after a little bit? Who are some of your influences? Um, I would say, I wouldn't say I would completely overall round my game around him, but uh, Jonathan Taves, she's a just a great player and like a great leader, and he's he's always he just seems like he's always in the right place, and he's not really making too many mistakes out there. Thinks the game really well, good shot, just can skate, and a, and a great team guy. So he's definitely definitely a guy that I always like to or kind of. Um, make my game kind of similar to him but at the same time there's there's other guys too but he's definitely my number one right on chris van oshaw joining us on inside sports tonight ajhl mvp for the spruce grove saints so tell me what's up for you next uh chris what's what's happening hockey wise next season <clears throat> um i actually just got a scholarship this year to uh i committed to minnesota state mankato that's uh that's going to be my my fall plans for next year and hopefully uh Hopefully it'll be a few a fun a fun few years there. So, all right, and, and Chris, one more for you, and and I appreciate you being willing to talk about this because part of your story is that previously in your junior career you played for the Humboldt Broncos and obviously we all know about the the tragedy that affected that team and, and that community and really all of the hockey world and everybody across Canada um, you know you know obviously you, you knew people and and it was incredibly uh, difficult just what was that like for you sort of uh, you know dealing with that uh, you know knowing that you know that that huge loss that happened, and having been a part of that community, how did you get through that? And I, I assume you are still getting through it, but uh, give us a little bit of your journey there. Yeah, I mean it was it was pretty pretty surreal. I didn't really didn't really click in until like the season kind of ended because then you, everyone starts kind of leaving. You don't really have a job to do anymore. And it just kind of you kind of really really start thinking about it a lot more, but. Um, yeah, like being being a part of that community, I'll I'll never never forget it. It was it was unbelievable and one of the best places to play junior hockey and like the the, the friends and the billets and everything in that community is just unbelievable because it's such a tight community. I think there's only five thousand there, so it's either you hang out with you hang out with guys on the team or 
or you're or you're going back home like you just just uh the tight community that you you are always going to spend time with those guys over over anyone because you don't really know anyone else so but yeah it was uh it was definitely a tough loss and losing losing all your bodies like that and it's it's kind of yeah it's just surreal is the only word i can i can really say and but it's just been good that everyone's kind of bonded together and and all the support has just been unbelievable so yeah well chris thanks for those thoughts really appreciate that and thanks for making time for us on inside sports you had a great year it was a great year for the spruce grove saints all the best at minnesota state mankato hope we can keep in touch while you play in the ncaa for sure thank you so much for having me Chris Van Oshaw, AJHL MVP from the Spruce Grove Saints. Thanks to our studio producer, Kellen Kennedy, the producer of the show, Dave Campbell. My name is Reed Wilkins. This has been Inside Sports on 630Chad. 630Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630Chad.